delivered them. Excuse me, verse 1. He delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. The Bible tells us that Midian and the people, the Midianites, they were not kind to the Israelites. They prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made themselves dens, as we read. They were forced into the mountains and caves and strongholds. And whatever it was that Israel had decided to sow for that season, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east, they would come up and they would take it or they would destroy it. And they would leave no sustenance for Israel. And the idea was to make them starve. They destroyed their crops and they took their sheep. They took their ox and they took their donkeys. And Judges tells us that this combined enemy that was coming up against Israel was innumerable. And they came to the land of Israel with one goal. And that was to destroy it. And it sounds like the enemy of our souls. It was because of this great enemy that Israel, the chosen people of God, had to face that they were left broken and they were left poverty stricken. And so the children of Israel began to cry upon the Lord. Can I tell you tonight that there is something about when God's people begin to cry out to God, that it begins to grip the heart of God. The Bible says that the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all of their troubles. It doesn't say that the righteous, when they were on a seven-day fast, that that is when God heard them. It doesn't say that when the righteous were being, they were trying to achieve sainthood or something like that, but it is when the people of God, it is when the righteous begin to cry and when they begin to call upon the name of the Lord, that it touches God. God's heart and he says I must respond oh hallelujah hallelujah the righteous cried unto the Lord and it got the Lord's attention and that is when the Lord delivered them or began to deliver them out of all of their troubles you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to have it all together but when God hears the cry of his children he will move mountains to get to them the Bible says that when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent two things. He sent a prophet and he sent an angel. He sent a prophet to the people and an angel to Gideon. And this is where we pick up. It says that when the prophet began to speak to the people, he said this, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and, uh, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. God was dealing with his people and he was trying to root out some things that had to be taken out and they had to be dissected before God could send them a deliverer. He had sent them a prophet to talk about the sin and talk about the disobedience. And he was trying to explain to his people that this enemy that seems so innumerable, this enemy that seems so great, is really just such a thorn in your side because of disobedience. He was saying you need to get it right with God, Israel, and then you can see the miracle, and then you can see the breakthrough that you have been praying for. It's, it's after these seven long years that surely there was somebody that said, I am willing to do whatever it takes. Preacher, preach to me. Tell me what is wrong deep down on the inside of me because I am ready for a miracle. I am ready for a breakthrough. I wonder if anybody has that testimony here tonight. Oh, God, I am ready, and I am willing. God, there's some things that I've been struggling with. There's some things that I've been fighting over, but I am willing to do whatever it takes. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He 
said you didn't obey my voice. You didn't do everything I wanted you to do, but your crying out made its way. The cries made their way into the inner sanctums of heaven. And I heard you cry, my people. I've come to tell somebody tonight that not only does God hear your cries, not only does he love you, not only does he know when a tear falls from your eyes, but I've come to tell somebody just like the prophet told those children of Israel that if he did it before, he can do it again. That's what the prophet was saying is God was faithful then, and he is faithful now. If he delivered you from the Egyptians, he can deliver you from the Midianites. If he took you out of the house of bondage, he can take you out of the hand of the Amalekites. Because God is faithful. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody needs to reach into the bag of your victories tonight and say, I know it might look bleak, and I know not everything is optimal in my situation, but I believe that God is still faithful. I believe that God still works on my behalf because I remember there was a time just like where I am right now. Nothing looked good, but I remember that God showed up right on time. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know it might seem crazy to trust in God where you are right now, considering that it would take a miracle. But we serve the one true living God that specializes in miracles. Amen. Does anybody believe that, that God specializes in miracles, that he looks for those opportunities, that it just looks completely desolate and it looks destitute? But God says, you know what? I think my glory can shine through that. Amen. Amen. He brought us out of the miry clay. When we were nothing, he provided for us when we didn't have two pennies to rub together. And when we go through trials, sometimes we forget about that. And all of a sudden we think that God is just not going to show up anymore because it's a fresh trial and it's some some fresh thing that we are having to face. But God is faithful. He has invested. Somebody listen to me. He has invested too much into you. He's brought you through too many trials. He's brought you through too many tribulations, too many prayer meetings, too many camp meetings, too many revivals. He has brought you this far. He didn't bring you this far just to let you die. He didn't bring you this far just to let you. Come on. He didn't just bring you this far to let you fail. But God said, I'm bringing you and I haven't expected in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your soul means too much to God for him to give up on you now, so don't give up on God. I know it's hard. I know it seems like all that's left, the only option that is left is failure. But can I tell you that failure is not the option? Can I tell you that it's not over until God says that it is finished? He said that I am the author and I am the finisher of your faith. Oh, I know it looks bleak, but when I say it's done, that's when it'll be done. I know the doors look closed, but watch me open them. Watch me close doors that no man can open. Oh, hallelujah, we serve a great God. Why don't you worship him? God, I worship you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. God sent a prophet, and he sent an angel. Thank you, Jesus. Gideon had a talk with this angel of the Lord. And it was while Gideon was hiding, trying to thresh some wheat by the wine press, that the angel says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Well, let me tell you, mighty man of valor is hiding. He's trying to just get just a little bit enough. He's hiding by the wine press. He doesn't want them to see it. He's getting just enough. If we, if we can just get just enough. Almighty man of valor. Gideon says, he begins to ask questions like, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this befallen us? Where are all the Lord's miracles that our fathers told us of? 
Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And then God asked him a question. Have not I sent thee? You're worried about all these other questions, but you need to be worried about who is sending you. Gideon did what we do all too often. He said, my Lord, how shall I save Israel? How shall I become their savior? No, God is just looking for a willing vessel. Yeah, you don't understand, though, God. There's all these frailties and there's all these mess ups and there's all these mistakes. And God is saying, but if I sent you, then you are going to go in my name. And there is victory and there is peace and there is joy when you go in my name. But we get stuck on this. God, I'm the least. He said, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And it's not recorded, and this is just my mind. But I wonder if God said, yeah, you are the least. But I'm not. I, I don't know that you're, you're catching on, Gideon. You're not the one that's going to fight this battle. You're just going to be a commander. I just need somebody that when I tell them to go, that they will go. When I tell them to stay, that they will stay. I'm just looking for somebody that is faithful. You let me fight the battles, and you let me go before you, and you let me go behind you, and on every side, you let me take on the battle, but I just need somebody that is faithful. Amen. Isaiah had it right when he said, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear. This is the one, Gideon, that is sending you out. You might be the least, but God is the greatest. And God tells Gideon, surely I will be with thee. Sometimes we listen to those voices too much and we, and we critically analyze every little moment and every little failure and every little thing about ourselves. But if God can use Moses with a speech impediment to be his spokesperson to free his nation from Egypt, if he can use some ruddy young shepherd boy that nobody wanted and was on the on way, way back where nobody even knew where he was, and if God can make him a king, then what makes you think that God can't take your broken pieces and put them back together? I know it's broken. I know it looks desolate. I know that there seems to be no solution. But when Jesus steps on the scene, he said, let me put the puzzle pieces back. Oh, I can do what no man can do. Hallelujah. Many of us know the story of Gideon. He listens to God and he takes down the altar and the grove for Baal and he sacrifices a bullock to God. And then he begins to continue in this call. He gathers an army and he fleeces God twice. And God answers his test. And so this is what I'm going to do. God, you answered my fleecing, and so I am going to respond. And when God answers, there is a little bit of a problem. God says, Gideon, your army's too big. 32,000 soldiers, but Gideon, your army's too big. Gideon, you're going up against 135,000 soldier army, but, and you only have 32,000, but your, but your army is too big. I need you to make it smaller. And God's reasoning was, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. So God does what God does. He brings it down to 300 men to accompany Gideon for a grand total of 301 men versus 135,000 enemy troops. 
And we know the story. We know what happens. Gideon overhears. He goes into the camp. God tells him, take your servant Furah and go into the camp. And they overhear a dream that an enemy is talking about. And the interpretation that comes with it that is prophesying a victory over this enemy army by the hand of Gideon through the power of God. And under Gideon's guidance, these 300 men, they split up into different companies. And they decide that they are going to blow the trumpets. And they are going to break the pitchers. And they are going to attack it from all these sides. And these this huge, innumerable amount of soldiers that were coming up against him are now fleeing for their lives. And they begin to get captured, and they begin to kill them. And this is some great victory for the children of Israel. As the musicians come, quickly, because I should have called you up sooner. Uh, I, had, I drew a line to go up sooner, but it didn't work. Oh, Jesus help us. Okay. Thank you, thank you. Singers, they know the cue too. Amen. This is a great victory for the children of Israel. But I'll tell you, it's also a sobering moment for Gideon. Because it's in this place, and they, they catch the last two kings of Midian. And Gideon tells his youngest son to kill them, and the youngest son is too afraid. And so these, these kings tell uh, Gideon, they say, then slay us yourselves, and so he does. And so it's after this great victory that we read in Judges chapter 8 where they tell Gideon, we want you. You've done all this. You're great. Everybody knows you in all the land. You have all the requirements. You're courageous. You're called of God. We want you. And we want your son's son to be the ruler too. And we want your son's son to be the ruler. That's how much we are grateful for what you have done. And in an interesting fashion, Gideon says, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And as we read, Gideon has this kind of a different request. He says, but I would desire this one thing, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them anything we can give to the guy that just saved our lives. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings, this is amazing, that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian and beside the chains that were about their camel's necks. And this is the very, very sad part. Verse 27 says that Gideon made an ephod thereof. He made an ephod. Gideon, aren't you the one that, that there, was, there was this grove and there was an altar that was built to Bel and you went and you tore it down. But now you're making an ephod thereof and you put it in your city, even in Ophrah, which was his city. And all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Oh, Gideon, Gideon. This great man that had accomplished so much in his life created something that started the whole cycle all over again. And it wasn't just a snare unto Gideon, but it was a snare to his house. And it wasn't even just something that impacted him and his family, but it says that all of Israel went thither a whoring after it. And so what does this have to do with my title tonight that failure is not an option 
We can look at the greatest, the, the most significant, the most talented as we stand. We can look at all those people all throughout history. And they can have accomplished so much and they can be so great and they can be written down in history books as some of the most popular, some of the most influential. But at the end of the day, they are still human. And failure to the human is an unfortunate option. It's not something that we, we can say, God, it, it's failure is not an option, but there's going to come a day because we are human and because we were shaping in iniquity. And I understand that we have power to overcome, but there will come a day when failure enters into our lives because we're human. So preacher, how can you say that failure is not an option? Look at all the world. My job has failed me. My retirement has failed me. Society has failed me. Those that are close to me, my family, maybe my parents, maybe my kids, my car, all these different things, my plans, my dreams are failing and they are falling apart. How can you say that failure is not an option? Why would you use Gideon as an example tonight, especially with a title like failure is not an option? Because failure is not an option for one. And that is God. Failure is an option with man, but it is not an option for God. Gideon had his failures. Abraham had his failures. Moses, David, Noah, King Saul, Peter, Paul, they all had their failures, and they were giants in the history of the Bible because for man, once again, failure is an unfortunate option on the table. But failure is not an option for God. The will of God will never fail. When God sends forth his word, it will not return unto him void, but it will accomplish the very thing that is pleasing to him. Oh, I've come to tell somebody tonight, I know it's a simple message. Oh, but there are plenty of things in life. They will fail you. They will let you down, but there is one that is greater than all those things, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he will not fail you. Hallelujah. My job might fail, but his mercy endureth forever. My career and my retirement might fail, but his compassions, they fail not. My marriage might be failing, but his faithfulness is great. My health might fail, but his peace will never fail. I don't know what it is that you came into the house of God needing tonight, but I can tell you that he is able to offer, that he is able to deliver, and it won't be something that's just here on a Sunday night, but it will be something to keep you throughout the week throughout your life. Oh, hallelujah. I read something that was interesting. How could the angel of the Lord say that Gideon, that you are this mighty man of valor, you're at the wine press. Nobody even knows who you are. How in the world did those, those Midianites or whoever, whatever they were that were in the camp, how in the world did they know that this poorest in Manasseh and this least in his father's house, how in the world did they know who Gideon was? It's something that's interested me. And, and furthermore, how could the angel of the Lord say that Gideon was this mighty man of valor? And in the premier Bible, it had some verse that was tagged on to it. And it was Isaiah 46 and 10, which says, declaring the end from the very beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. What am I doing in bringing that up? I'm saying that you may not feel like an overcomer. You may feel like, my God, I failed you all last year. There's a couple weeks into 
into the year and I'm still telling you, God, how could I ever proclaim to be an overcomer? But God is coming in this place and he is declaring the end from the very beginning. He's looking at you and he's not looking at a failure, but he's looking at what you could be. He's looking at a prayer warrior. He's looking at somebody that's willing to fast. He's looking at somebody that is willing to study and to reach this world. Oh, hallelujah, these altars are open. I don't know what you need, but God won't fail you. I don't know what you need, but if you'll step out on faith, I challenge you to challenge God. Oh, God, you know what we have need of, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, things in this world, they might fail me, God, but you will never fail me, God. You'll never forsake me, God. You'll never leave me, Jesus. Oh, God, I put my trust in you. Oh, God, I believe in you, Jesus. Oh, God, you know, God, you know. Oh, God, you declare, God, the end from the very beginning, Jesus. Oh, God, when I'm failing, Jesus, you can look ahead and see when I am an overcomer. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh!